Hello, y'all. This is our, what, third episode? Third episode of Casual Politics. Uh, So I'm Amar. I'm Boston. And I'm Anish. Yes, Anish is finally here with us, right? Um, No, it's it's good to have Anish back. Um, Well, actually, this is his first episode, so not really. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Okay. He brings brings progressive views. Yeah, exactly. He brings very progressive views like that. (laughs) Ideological diversity. Okay. Anyways, um, so obviously there is something you know something pretty big going on. You know, big pandemic. COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, and this has shaped a lot of, you know, different, different sects of society in different ways. Um, One thing we're going to talk about today is how it's shaped up, I think, the political landscape of this country, right? The political outlook, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So yeah, I guess, I guess we can start sort of top of the ticket. Um, You know, Coronavirus is obviously in the United States. Um, the federal response has been, you know, not really not that proactive. Um, it's been more reactive than proactive, and that's um, that's really sort of affected, you know, the death toll. The death toll. There hasn't been enough testing, uh, so that's you know affected numbers in any way, and um, it has really opened up. I think um the country to a lot of a lot of partisanship boston any thoughts um i think just yeah everything you said but i think it's just we need someone up there with with empathy and someone who cares and obviously this guy doesn't have any of that (laughs) yeah absolutely i i gotta agree with you on that one you know this is like this is like um you know 2020's equivalent of World War II or, um, you know, the Spanish flu or the Great Recession or the Great Depression. You know, this is, this is something just like that. This is a crisis and we need a cohesive leader, um, you know, who's willing to accept the facts really and um, sort of just live up to his role. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Any any thoughts? Uh, Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's interesting that this year kind of threw every challenge that you could expect at the most incompetent president. So I feel like the divide that it's showing, but like, okay, because when you <clears throat> when you give the most incompetent president that we could have a possible recession, a pandemic, and now... Um, a political and social revolution with Black Lives Matter, it really like it really puts them on a pedestal where they can either become one of the best leaders in history despite mm-hmm. everything that happened, or what ended up happening, which is <laughs> you know the other way around. Um, but yeah, and it's interesting because Trump could have used this to kind of fix his image. But instead, he's making it really, like, easy political fodder for his own opposition, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, this is kind of alluding to what Anish said. This is a really great opportunity for him to expand his base, right? Um, But instead, he's just throwing raw meat at his supporters, you know, um, at his most fervent, you know, core of supporters. And... um, I mean, personally, I don't think that's the best idea, but I mean, it, 
I mean, that's, I mean, that's his decision, right? Um, there's obviously people who always, you know, criticize his decisions, but this is, this is something bigger than just partisanship, right? We've seen people on both sides of the aisle, um, you know, prominent Republicans, uh, you know, prominent military generals who generally don't, you know, speak out on political issues. Um, we've definitely seen them sort of, you know, speak out a little bit more than in the past. And I think, you know, um, with the, the high unemployment that we still have and, you know, uh, we actually are in a recession. So it's been it's been confirmed. We are in a recession. Um, I feel like people will be sort of a little perhaps perhaps I hope that people are a little open minded. Right. As to, um, you know, maybe, you know, sort of uh, clean up a little bit of the partisanship in the sense that we're going through a big crisis. You know, this theoretically should you know, go over partisanship. Partisanship shouldn't affect this, but um, we, it, it really just remains to be seen what effect this will have. Okay, any, any last thoughts before we move on? Um, isn't, isn't, it, isn't it supposed to be hot today? No. Uh, let me check. No, I heard it was supposed to be like 90s like this week. Literally, the high is going to be on Friday and Saturday. It's 69 and 67, and it's windy, and I hate that because that's like that's literally what it was in like January. Um, really, I think just talk about you know how the the coronavirus pandemic has influenced campaigning, right? Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give Anish first dibs on this one because this is uh, this is sort of his his uh, his topic. But yeah, go for it, Anish. Um, so, I mean, um, what's interesting is that this time last year, us, along with so many other, um, activists, political organizers, political enthusiasts, and just people who were trying to get a better idea of what was going on, spent, um, their days going to political rallies, conventions, meet and greets, things like that especially when you think about like before March, that's all that was going on in Iowa, New Hampshire, um, South Carolina, Nevada. And I mean, um, of course, after the, the primary is actually like Super Tuesday was literally a little bit before the pandemic yeah. took full effect when we were in a national lockdown. So it's really interesting to see that divide between candidates having to spend every day just out and about outside, traveling between Iowa and New Hampshire, probably on that campaign bus every day, not getting a lot of sleep. Um, and that also gave us a lot of, um, like us as like the voters, a lot of accessibility to the candidates. I mean, I read somewhere that like on average, a New Hampshire resident will go to like seven presidential wow. events per cycle or something like that. Um, but now it's so weird again to think about how like this time four years ago every single day all i would see is like sound bites from hillary clinton rallies she even had one with like beyonce and jay-z or something if i remember clearly. i remember that yeah yeah and then like you'd see obama stumping for her which is and bill clinton stumping for her and that's kind of crazy to think that like former presidents are um having rallies across the country, same thing with Michelle, Joe Biden, et cetera. But now, like, it does not feel like an election year because that's taken such a backseat. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I want to add on to that. A lot of 
you know, what really makes a successful, I feel like, campaign is really being able to, like, connect with voters, right? And being able to, like, meet voters and, you know, citizens and stuff and, um, you know, residents and all that. So I think this will, I think, affect a lot of, like, down ballot stuff, too, you know? Like, house races, state legislative campaign, because they can't really, you know, canvas on doors and stuff. They're going to have to have Zoom meetings and, you know, virtual events and stuff. And it's just not, you know, it's just not... Because you're essentially depending on them, right, to make the effort and come out. Where if you were campaigning, like, in person, you're, you're can canvassing in person, you, you were making that effort to reach them. Um, so, you know, you could reach a lot more people. Yeah, like, it's, okay, because this summer I'm working, like, on one campaign, for a congressional campaign, and then also just, like, on the digital team for, like, Ed Markey's Senate re-election. And... What's interesting is that um, on the congressional campaign, so I made like videos and ads for the guys last year, um, last summer. And last summer, like the main function of his campaign team, all of his interns and fellows that were all high school and college students is that every Saturday morning, they would meet up at his office to just go canvas. And that was kind of like, what all of his interns were kind of signing up for to go around the district and actually go door to door and canvas. But now, like, that's an entire, that's what like half of campaigning is and now it's kind of gone. So like, there's a lot more emphasis, at least I've seen on his campaign for like phone banking because of the pandemic, they're also trying to call all of the seniors in the district and make sure they're okay and see if they need anything. But um it's it's so weird seeing that like what campaigning means has completely changed for congressional candidates and senate candidates that means not having to go door to door which also makes things a lot easier for them but having to ramp up like their social media operations mm -hmm. and then for presidential elections that means not going around the country having rallies but instead you again just sitting in front of the camera and trying to make the best of that and trying to make it equivalent to meeting thousands of people every week yeah absolutely and honestly one thing about the rallies and stuff is they're just fun to go to you know um i remember we went to a few uh for some of the presidential candidates and they were just you know they were just a good time really um you really get an opportunity to just be in the moment hear what they say and um yeah so so it was yeah, fun what but... a high for a political junkie what was that? What a high for a political. Truly, truly. Uh, anything to add, Boston? Well, <clears throat> well, just with those political rallies, you know, being able to converse with other people, who obviously you won't be able to meet through a Zoom Zoom meeting or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, see why they support the candidate and what they believe is most important. Um, really has an effect. I remember going to those events at Manny's and talking to Julian Castro supporters and um, who else did we go there to see Kamala Harris supporters and just see why they're so passionate about their candidate while um, I might not be as passionate and just hearing um, their history and stuff. That really does influence voters, um, especially me, and not having that um, doesn't help at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then adding to the rallies, um, Donald Trump's obvious 
one of his signature things to do is those large rallies, right? And his emotional Paul, support rallies, the right? ones he does just to feel better about himself. <laughs> but like he's done that more than any other president, right? Ever. And, That's very true. Yeah, and that plays a lot into his his social media advertising and all of that stuff. So, it'd be interesting to see what he does um, now. Yeah, and right. I think um, like you know, these rallies and these in-person events are super important for people like swing voters and like moderates and stuff, because, you know, you just get to, you just get to meet different people, you know, hear different ideas. And that's not really conducive. You know, Zoom doesn't really, um, it's not super conducive to that. I remember when uh, we were at a Bernie rally, um, some people were talking crap about uh, Andrew Yang uh, right he's always just you know just wants to give everybody free money i mean i mean he does but like still um, like that's no way to phrase it you know um so i don't know i i kind of found myself in that uh just kind of talking to some of them and it was really interesting right hearing where they were coming from hearing where i was coming from and mm -hmm. so it just it just opens up a lot of better i think political dialogue that you know tends to to you know, less than some of the, the extreme partisanship and polarization we've seen over the years. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, not super hopeful about, uh, about polarization in the, in the age of Zoom. Yeah. yeah. I will say one more thing about, about the, the way that campaign culture has shifted because of the pandemic. I think that this was both a huge relief for Biden as well as, um, a hmm, how do I put this like Biden also did kind of fuck it up um because on one hand I think it was a relief because um it was a very long and stressful primary season he's in his late 70s and it was not easy by Super Tuesday or by the week before Super Tuesday there was like six candidates still in um and he did have to campaign for a long time. He had a lot of opponents going through the whole thing. And um, at the end of the day, yeah, Bernie was still in until mid-April. So they both did have to campaign heavily. Um, but uh, I do think that after that, it's probably like, I can't imagine having to shift from that to going into a general election cycle and keeping up that same momentum and energy because yeah. campaigning takes a lot out of candidates. So I think that maybe this was, maybe this is like a blessing for him that instead of having to go to rallies every single day, now he just turns on his camera and joins like The View or like The Late Show with Stephen Colbert or like things like that every other day. And, um, uh, but I also think that now it's an election year and he's not even one of the top five things I think about or see on the news in a day. And I think that now if he does win, it's going to be more because people hate Donald Trump than about him. Because now that he's on the back burner and no one's even paying attention to him anymore, but everyone still wants Donald Trump out and he's doing better in the polls. That's not because of his campaign. That's because the yeah. Black Lives Matter movement and revolution is going on. And that makes it clear that like, progressive leadership is needed to tackle racial justice. And of course he's not progressive leadership, but um, 
stronger. But the the, the sort Biden. of argument there is, you know, in a Joe Biden presidency, it's easier to, I think, envision some of the progressive, you know, ideals, mm-hmm. some of the progressive, you know, yeah. um, things that we want to happen. In yeah. a Donald yeah. Trump presidency, that's definitely not going to happen, like for sure, 100%. Um, but, but yeah, like honestly, like him not campaigning is more effective than him campaigning. He does not need to campaign because enough people are frustrated by Donald Trump, especially with the pandemic, the I think so, recession, um, and the fact that he was willing to send in the military on his own cities. And I don't know. I think that just the day that he tear gassed the protesters at Lafayette Square just to go take a photo up with the Bible, like that image is enough to lose a presidency, you know? Yeah, I I definitely agree with you, but you know, I gotta give credit to Donald Trump. Somehow he's been through scandal after scandal after scandal, and the man just seems to, you know, like his approval rating is still what, like forty percent, you know? Which is I mean, not horrible for someone that tear gas protests. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, it's let a hundred thousand Americans die. You know, like the thing is, it's stayed that way since you know. It stayed, you know, pretty much ever since the beginning of his presidency. It increases president. the bar for intolerance, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, if if he let his campaign off with, like, like Mexicans are criminals and rapists, and, That's like, true. making fun of this, the disabled reporter and, the, and, the, and, like, the Access Hollywood tape, like, he set the bar pretty high for, like, what's going to piss us off, you know? Yeah. That's true. That makes sense. And like, we're at the point where now it's like, okay, collusion with a foreign government to try to influence my re-election. Nothing, you know, absolutely nothing. An impeachment that doesn't even count as an impeachment. So I mean, um, but yeah, so that bar I think is a lot higher, but I mean, so I'm not saying there's a breaking point because clearly there's not. I mean, there's like 14 indicators of fascism. He's met 13 of them. And the last one is supremacy wow. of the military, which he has tried to implement both during the pandemic and now during the protest. And we can talk about this during a later episode, but um, the fact that we are almost now entirely a fascist regime and because it was such a slow burning candle that no one realized, I don't think that there's like, a, wow, we've had enough threshold you know so you think it's more of like a gradual like peel off of a little bit a little bit a little bit something like that but i think that having the pandemic and also Mm. now like these stronger renewed and vibrant like passionate calls from young people from people from every side of the political spectrum and from the age spectrum for actual racial justice on a systemic and systematic level um that revolution kind of takes over anything that was going on in the country before because before it's basically maybe 25 30 percent of the country is actually paying attention to what's going on in quote unquote politics and then of that percentage um half like half of them are okay with the status quo they like donald trump the other half doesn't and wants to remove him but now that you have people that probably couldn't name our governor two months ago or three months ago, four months ago, because they probably paid a little more attention during the pandemic. But now that like, there's people that probably didn't even know what a Senator was, 
that I'm now seeing post things about like uh, what policies could ensure racial justice in the criminal justice system yeah. and things like that. So I think that like hopefully this movement, Black Lives Matter, is actually going to change the political spectrum on every level as well. And people realize that being political is more than just like, oh yeah, like here's a couple people that are just gonna talk about like taxes and stuff yeah. like that. Like, and it's actually like, this affects every part of your lives, you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean- Especially for minorities and like affected yeah. communities, whether that's poor people, um, immigrants, um, black people, Latino people, things like that, so yeah. I think what we've seen is definitely an <clears throat> like attributable to that movement right uh the black lives matter black black lives matter movement um you know we're just seeing a sort of a surge of activism people really thinking oh what are politics you know what policies um and actually um you know the so the supreme court is going to rule on daca soon um you know the the dreamers program so um, they're going to announce their decision soon. So we'll, we'll have to see too. I mean, I think that definitely could start something as well. You know, this isn't just about one thing. This is about a broad coalition of people advocating for, you know, a variety of causes, a variety of changes. And so, yeah. and I think, you know, with the, um, the, the coronavirus pandemic too, it's just given more people to, I think, you know, participate you know people are usually yeah. holed up in like jobs or you know they're usually you know running around and doing stuff but you know given that most people are under, still under you know shelter in place lockdown whatever you want to call it this is an opportunity right for them to to channel their frustrations um i think this shows people kind of what's at stake because normally you don't care about politics because like, oh, that's just a bunch of nerdy shit. It doesn't affect me, right? Yeah. yeah. But then pandemic showed that, okay, there's so many people that don't have health care. Exactly. That's one big thing. And that's part of why the pandemic did spiral out the way that it did. Second of all, um, nurses, doctors, hospitals don't even have enough personal protection equipment to get through a pandemic and are having to wear like trash bags yep. make this masks out of cloth cloth meanwhile a couple months later during protests police oh. of even just small cities are coming out in full right that costs upwards of 10 times as yep. much as what one nurse's ppe would cost just to essentially continue to be brutal to the very people that are protesting their brutality you know? <laughs> so i think now people are starting to see okay these are things that like this is this is what being political actually means it means like we can take the money away from the defense department or on a local level the um the the police departments and we can actually reallocate that to um doing good things like to, to helping out essential workers to um, fighting for universal health care on the national level and things like that, you know? Yeah, I agree. Boston, anything to add? We haven't heard from you for a little while. Well, I think, I think this plays well into our new topic about voting, especially due to, due to this pandemic and due to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, actually, 
taking that first step, registering, pre-registering to vote, and then voting in November um, to make sure that, you know, on a local level and federal level, I guess, candidates aren't taking police union money, um, support for defunding the police and moving that towards healthcare, our education system, um, local, state, and state level as well. So um, just now using that call of action. And I know voting doesn't seem like a lot, but, but, but when a lot of people come out in force and, and make that change, voting could be pretty, pretty remarkable, don't you, say, don't you think? I agree. I think, I think, you know, I really hope that people take this as a call to understand why voting is so important, right? Because if, because, you know, obviously seniors, you know, people over 45, they vote in huge numbers, right? Um, they're very reliable voting bases. Um, young people, us, you know, under people under 30, not so much, you know, we don't come out to vote that often. Um, and when we do, we only vote, you know, it's, it's usually an aberration, right? If we have really high turnout in our, in our age bracket, it's usually like something unusual, a really good candidate or something like that. But the thing is, you know, if young people vote at, you know, really, really high turnout rates, then politicians are going to start to understand, okay, this is a key constituency. You know, these are people that vote for us. If we don't do what they say, they won't vote for us anymore. Right. And that's sort of how you hold, um, that's sort of how you bully politicians, you know, in that sense. Um, you, you use your, your collective voice to be like, okay, if you don't do what we say, we're not voting for you and you're going to lose. And yeah, I think this especially puts more of an emphasis on our local, local elections um, and to, yeah, even our state elections, like people before probably wouldn't care who your, who your mayor is. <clears throat> who your city council, who you're voting for city council, as long as they have what a Democrat sign next to it or yeah, exactly. or who your district attorney is. But now that those three, especially and a lot more local, uh, your school board um, comes into play um, through this movement and through this pandemic. Cause yeah, cause the majority of changes, you know, that we want to make happen, those are going to happen at the local level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a good amount of change happens by, you know, protesting, by going to meetings and such. But at a certain point, you have to start electing people that are more progressive, you know, the people that stand for the ideals that you are for. Um, because, you know, with, I mean, without the votes, you know, in city council, for example, nothing's going to happen, you know. You need the votes. You always need the votes. As simple as that. Um, so, yeah, local elections, super huge. And, you know, a lot of people just sort of, I think, look over it, right, the importance of these things. Um, it's like you were talking about earlier. Like, um, you know, DAs, you know, they're involved in prosecuting, you know, cases, you know, and if a DA is taking money from a police union, I mean, that sets up a conflict of interest, you know, um, there's a, there's actually a really, I think, sort of notorious case, um, a few notorious cases in the Bay Area, one in Sacramento, um, with Stefan Clark, uh, the DA actually accepted a payment from the police union a few days after that shooting. Um, it was a pretty big payment too. Um, you know, campaign donations, obviously, but yeah. Um, so, you know, these things sort of happen. And if people don't, you know, don't call out politicians and stuff, they're just going to keep on doing it until they get voted out of office. Um, yeah. so it's important to, to be aware in that sense. Yeah. Anish, anything to add? Um, 
I think I'm good right now. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing as well, um, with, you know, voting in the pandemic, um, we've seen a lot of mail-in voting, you know, um, and a lot of, a few states actually do this already. Um, so we see in Washington, Oregon, even Utah, you know, very conservative state. It does pretty much all their elections by mail-in voting. And, um, you know, a lot of states allow mail-in voting, you know, no, uh, with no excuse. And we're seeing that expand, um, you know, because frankly, it's just, you know, it's, it's very easy. You know, you you fill out your ballot, maybe a few days in advance, you, you drop it off and that's it. You don't have to wait in line. Uh, you don't have to go through any of like the regulatory paperwork, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that, you know, I was a poll worker and the amount of paperwork and stuff that some people had to go through, it was just insane. Um, honestly, I, I, I probably wouldn't like vote if I had to vote in person. Um, Mail-in ballot is just, very convenient you know and there's no um you know contrary to what the president says there's no you know experts have said you know there's no advantage you know there's no advantage for democrats there's no advantage for republicans um and you know yeah exactly it's you know older people are more likely to cast ballots you know if they're mail-in voting as well um you know younger people are more likely so it's just it's better for democracy um and it's much easier um you know for people much more convenient yeah yeah because like right at this very second we're having a primary election uh june 9th and i've seen on twitter on social media there there's already been calls for yeah people waiting in hours in line four to five hours in line in georgia, in georgia just, yep. just to vote in person so um these vote voting by mail um acts that are being um trying to get through Congress by, I have two, I, I don't know if there's any more, but these two from the Senate, um, calling for early voting, calling for um, the option, option to request an absentee ballot um, and stuff like that um, is really helpful, um, especially during this time of the pandemic where older voters might not be, um, might not feel safe to walk out of their homes, right? Um, and these, these, these bills also call for more training for younger younger people to work at the polls like Amar so that older older people don't have to work mm -hmm. and be exposed even more right um yeah. so i think i have two um these are from the senate i'm not sh there's probably more in the house um but first i have um ron wyden senator from oregon and then amy klobuchar um who wrote the natural disaster and emergency ballot act and then Kamala Harris's Vote Safe Act of 2020. Um, these two, I feel like they're really similar. I talked to Omar about this. I don't know of any difference between the two. <laughs> they call for 20 days of early voting for all states so that people aren't um, exposed to the virus on November 3rd. Um, they have extended like three weeks to cast their ballots whenever they want. And then, like I said, all voters have the option to request an absentee ballot um, as well. And then more training for um, younger poll workers um, is also included in the legislation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, as we sort of, you know, move towards, you know, these reforms for voting, right? Early voting, you know, voting by mail, um, things of that nature. Obviously, it's going to take a little while for, for states to to move to those systems. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in Wisconsin and Michigan, for example, um, 
most of their most of their people you know vote in person you know uh before then but now they're pretty much moving to to mostly mail-in ballots so it'll be interesting to see um how effectively and you know quickly states are able to to make that that shift um uh and you know we can only hope that that they, they make the shift well in time for the November election, but also they do well in these primary elections. Um, yeah. I, I just think it's crazy and absurd that our president vote is calls out against these vote by mail, but he himself white requested a mail in ballot because his home state is Florida. Right. Yep, absolutely. That's just crazy. His press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, apparently has voted by mail 11 times in the past. Yep, 10 years. Exactly. And also, for reference, she's 29. So that's like, that started when she was, when like, she was 18, right. pretty much. Yeah. 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 That's, that's yeah. just insane. I think, um, you know, I mean, mail-in voting again, it's shown to be, you know, election fraud does not happen that much. Uh, when, and if it does happen on a large scale, people are usually able to detect it. You know, there was a house seat in North Carolina, um, where, the election was basically disputed because the Republican campaign was, um, you know, accused of ballot harvesting and, you know, filling in ballots and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, they caught on to that. They knew something was a, was a problem there. Um, So, you know, the thing is states, you know, have systems for this. Um, They're able to detect fraud very well. Um, Yeah. And plus, yeah, because I think it's like when they are counting and certifying the votes, you can literally sign up to be like, to like observe like to be an observer mm. of like the secretary of state's office when they're actually counting the votes or something right uh, and i also think it's kind of just one i guess fun not so fun fact you guys know that i i think um texas's supreme court decided on not letting um the whole state have uh, vote by mail yeah, so I, I don't know what's up with that because it was a federal judge, right, who said that yeah. vote by mail was okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. So I don't know if they can really, like, overturn that decision. I don't know if that's that's how the court system really works. But I know that, like, when the Texas um, court decided on it, they actually decided over, like, a video conference, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly, right? That's just That's just sort of almost hypocritical in a sense. Yep. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, I think most states have um, allowed no excuse absentee. We'll see what happens in the general. Um, right now, this is for the primary. But honestly, I suspect, you know, if it goes well, I mean, it'll probably save the money too. You know, they don't have to open as many poll places. They don't have to staff people um, to to those polling, you know, stations. Um, so probably, honestly, in November, I think we'll see more, vote by mail but yeah there there are a few sort of i think exceptions um texas has been very 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 uh hesitant and unwilling to uh to incorporate vote by mail um so texas law as it states says that you have to have like a disability um in order to to um yeah get a get an absentee ballot um but you know so you know it's, it's not it's, counting coronavirus as one of those disabilities right now yeah exactly so the court system is sort of going through that and i believe in tennessee too um a f- it might have been a federal judge not sure um but a federal judge or a judge said that um they're they're basically gonna allow they basically should make it so that you know absentee ballots are available to anyone um 
in Tennessee. So we'll see um, how those uh, how those you know court decisions go through the, the judiciary. But yeah, those are those are the big ones right now. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Um, I think that's it. That's it. Okay. Um, thanks for watching, or thanks for hearing, I should say. Uh, and uh, yeah, so for everyone else tuning in, just uh, remember that after everything we talked about, it is really important to, despite the fact that we are in a pandemic, actually to vote in November, yes. whether that's uh, for the president or even on a state, a county, and local level. Yeah. 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 So. Absolutely. Thank you for that. All right. We'll see you guys later.